0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Sometimes as we get older, our joints do as well. And over time, we can get some wear and tear that occur with a lot of our joints and can actually lead us to have some significant problems with pain, which in some cases might lead to the need for joint replacement. We're speaking today with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center on Kauai, and we're going to cover some of the latest developments in Part 1, knee replacement surgery, and then we'll come back and do Part 2, hip replacement surgery, to give everybody the information they need to make the best choices regarding their surgery. Dr. Ravinsky, thank you for joining me today on The Body Show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about your background. You had some interesting hobbies and computer science information and work that you've done in your past. I bet that comes in handy.
1: It does. I took a roundabout way to medical school, and I worked in computer software for three years before going to medical school. And uh, then I did my training in orthopedic surgery. And I was lucky enough to do a fellowship in computer-assisted orthopedic surgery at Hadassah University in Jerusalem. So I've been able to meld my interests and my vocation in integrating technology in orthopedics for the last 20 years.
0: Well, and I understand that you're involved not just with the additional aspects of training, but teaching as well.
1: That's true. I've been teaching at UH for more than 20 years, and I travel and teach in the U.S. and abroad. I mean, I went to teach at Cedars-Sinai and UC Irvine in December and introduced them to robotic-assisted knee surgery, and I'm leaving this week to go to Singapore to uh, chair a conference on robotic-assisted knee surgery. So I feel fortunate that I've been able to spread the aloha and share the uh, benefits that we have here in Hawaii with other people as well.
0: Well, and last month you returned from a trip to Honduras, is that right?
1: That's true. I've been going to Honduras intermittently since 2017, and I do trauma there primarily, mostly neglected injuries. And I think it's important for us to give back and to be able to work not just in a high-tech setting, but also to share what we can with those who don't have all the resources that we're blessed with here.
0: Well, and that certainly does challenge you as far as your surgical expertise, because some of the other countries may not have the same advanced equipment that you might be used to right here in the islands.
1: That's true, and you have to start off with the idea of what you'd like to do, and then you look at what you have, and then you can plan with what you can actually do. But we can do a lot of good without a lot of equipment for very basic bread and butter problems, such as fractures and bone infections, and it just feels good to be able to help move the ball down the field. And we've been training local Honduran orthopedic surgeons, and uh, we've built up a fellowship there. So now there's two additional surgeons in training. So we're teaching them to be able to build their own capacity and manage uh, more of their own problems. But I still go there to help them with difficult cases.
0: It's that whole concept of... See one, do one, teach one, and you've really brought that forward to help other people to learn not just from what you've been able to do there but also to be able to take care of folks when you're not there now, what got you interested in joint replacement We're talking about the knee joint today, so what is it about the knee joint or the, or just the general idea of replacing a joint that gets that gets you excited enough to want to spend a career doing it
1: well it's a personal story um, i'm an athlete and I love to surf and I played sports in college and I have injured my knee and I recognized that I was gonna need a knee replacement. And about twenty years ago I looked at what technology was out there in terms of the implants and how people were doing the surgery and I thought I could do better than this. I think we can help make an implant and a technique that I'd be willing to have for my own knee because I want to keep doing all the things I love to do. I want to keep surfing and being active and being in the mountains. So that this has been a passion project for me.
0: Well, it sounds like from that personal experience, you know, a lot of folks have some type of experience in medicine or some field that they go into. And you mentioned, just like you said, it becomes sort of something they're passionate about from their own personal experience and having that particular problem. So when you think about issues regarding the knees, what sort of opportunities are there. We have we range from you know you have a have a slight twisted knee to knee replacement. What are some of the different areas along that spectrum that that lead to somebody potentially needing a knee replacement?
1: That's an excellent question. I think it is important to know that our bodies have tremendous healing potential and we should always optimize conservative care for our knees and most knee problems will get better given time and therapy and less invasive treatments such as injections. And, and that's a starting point. But over time, your cartilage wears out faster than your body can heal the cartilage. And the incidence of arthritis is roughly parallel to the incidence of aging, right? 70% of 70-year-olds will have an arthritic joint. Not every joint needs a replacement, but the mechanical wear and tear, loss of the cartilage cushion between the bones that fails to respond to conservative therapy That's the primary indication for a knee replacement.
0: So what might someone experience that physically they would note that would lead them to think, okay, I've got to get my knee checked out, even from the basics of, hey, what is it not doing that it should be doing? And is it just a signal of pain or are there some other signs of loss of function or some other disability that would get people to notice that, hey, they have to get this taken care of?
1: Well, pain is definitely will draw your attention to your knee joint. But another big issue that people run into is stiffness. Uh, Loss of extension first, and then loss of bending, loss of flexion. And then there's a time course of pain that's pretty typical for arthritis. Stiffness and achiness after sitting or when you get up in the morning. Then the knee might feel better after you get going and warm it up. And then some achiness sets in at the end of the day. And uh, another hallmark finding is swelling. The knee gets filled with fluid and then really the bending becomes quite limited.
0: So if you start to develop some of those symptoms, hey, it's time to go get your knee checked out in, in some capacity. Now, do you often see that people have had before they get to the point of needing a replacement, they've had other procedures or interventions done working up to that to sort of delay the need for a big surgical treatment?
1: For the most part, yes. And if they haven't then I always encourage patients to maximize and optimize conservative care. So if you think about the whole spectrum of treatment, number one is maintaining a healthy lifestyle, and the key things for your joints is maintaining range of motion. Motion is the lotion and maintaining your strength of the muscles around the knee joint. And if someone comes with a sore knee and they have an arthritic knee, I always will have them do physical therapy because we know from many studies that strengthening the muscles around the knee joint, improving range of motion, improving flexibility, we actually decrease the contact pressures in the knee and make the knee feel better. And then there are injections we can offer for the knee joint. Steroids are common as an anti-inflammatory. It's kind of like putting a big pill of ibuprofen in your knee. Um, but what may be more helpful is a visco supplementation. You can inject a lubricant gel in the knee that's made of hyaluronic acid, so that gives nutrition to the cartilage, and that is more durable. So that's one to three injections over the course of one to three weeks, and that can last up to a year.
0: Now, a lot of times when people are thinking about doing visco-supplementation, there may be some requirements through their insurance to do steroid injections first. Could you really go either way? Could you start with the visco-supplementation first, then do steroids, or is there a reason to consider corticosteroid injections first, or does it matter?
1: Steroid injections are less expensive, and I think that's why the insurance company would prefer patients try that first. And it really just is a short-acting anti-inflammatory, although people may get 6 to 12 weeks of relief. But repeated steroid injections can cause harm to the cartilage. So I think if you're trying to manage osteoarthritis, the visco-supplementation is probably a better choice because it doesn't degrade the cartilage at all and uh, may actually provide nutrition for your cartilage cells.
0: All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center about when to know if you need a knee replacement and what are some of the latest developments in the surgical techniques that could help any one of us. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're speaking with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center on Kauai, and we're talking about total knee replacement, how to know if you need one, and what are some of the latest techniques and ways that we can improve on this surgery. Now, right before the break, we were talking about doing something that might help temporarily, visco-supplementation, trying to help nourish that cartilage that might be in the knee that, as time goes on, tends to have a little bit more wear and tear than we might like. And, you know, if you have done that type of treatment and you've done physical therapy and you've kind of maximized all of your conservative treatment, then the time may come, Dr. Ravinsky, where maybe it's time to consider a joint replacement. What would be the criteria that you would look at for someone who said, "Okay, I think it's time? Are there also surgical criteria that they need to meet as well?
1: So it's a complex question and it's deeply personal for each patient, but I ask patients, what do you do for work, what do you do for fun, are there things that you need to do or love to do that you can't do today? And if the answer to that is yes, and they've completed the conservative care, then it's time to start talking about knee replacement surgery. As far as medical criteria, it would make sense that the healthier you are, that you can be personally, the lower risk of complications you have, with the procedure, so we always want to make sure that patients are medically optimized so that they meet with their primary care doctor and any medical problems they have are treated to the best of their ability. We also recommend patients are mentally and physically ready for the surgery. So that means mentally giving yourself the space in your life to recover after the surgery and having adequate support at home to help you with that recovery. And then physically, we always send patients to rehabilitation therapy surgery to teach them exercises and inform them what they're going to experience and what to expect after the surgery. And the stronger they are, the better prepared they are coming into surgery, the easier the recovery is.
0: Well, because this is an elective surgery, right? You mentioned having space in your life, the time for recovery. So this is not one of those things where you want to be like, okay, I'm going to go back to work in two weeks because I can. You really have to focus on recovering your strength and working on making sure that your body is able to, to respond well to this joint replacement, but also help further along your therapy and your activity goals.
1: A hundred percent. And it's a partnership really between the surgeon and the patient. I'm going to do the best job I can to do a perfect operation, make sure I have the best implants, the best technology, best technique. You have to do your share in preparing yourself before surgery and also doing the rehabilitation after surgery to get the full benefit of the operation.
0: Now, what sort of questions might patients ask their surgeons about doing a knee replacement? If you've discussed with somebody, okay, you're ready, you're in the optimal medical health, it's time to go ahead and consider doing this type of procedure for you. Are there questions that patients should be asking?
1: Absolutely. I remember to remind our patients that it's an elective surgery. So you have the choice of who's going to do your surgery, where the surgery is going to be performed, and you should make your decision very thoughtfully. So, you know, it's a very common question for patients to ask a surgeon, how many of these do you do? Is this something that you specialize in? And it would make sense, and this has been borne out by data in the American Total Joint Registry, that fewer complications are seen at high-volume medical centers and with higher volume surgeons. And this magic number seems to be 50 per year for a surgeon and 250 per year for the medical center. So asking. A surgeon how many of these do you do is a very reasonable one to ask
0: now surgery has changed over the last couple of years technology has helped us to make the surgical approach more individualized to patients and then also it helps to to utilize some of the resources we have with computerized digitalization to help us to make this surgery even easier for patients and make their recovery better. What are some of the the ways that you describe the additional benefit of technology that we've seen in the last few years from, I mean, I went to medical school quite a while ago and I remember participating in joint surgeries, but nowadays it's probably totally different than what I recall. How has technology helped us?
1: Well, the best analogy I like to use is that of surfboard shaping. And surfboard shapers, Traditionally, I've shaped surfboards with very simple tools, a saw, a planer, a ruler, and you can make a fantastic surfboard this way. And there's still many surgeons that use manual techniques to do a total knee replacement. But many surfers and surfboard shapers have transitioned to using technology to enable them to do a better job. So in surfboard shaping, when I sit down with my son and we want to do a surfboard, we'll sit down at the computer and use a computer-aided design program and this lets us visualize what we're doing, make changes virtually, prototype those changes, see what effects those changes are going to have. And that happens before we even touch the foam. And then once we've finalized our design, we can then have a CNC or a computer numeric control machine mill the surfboard out of the foam. And this technology has enabled surfboard shapers to really advance quickly, their performance and the designs of the surfboards we're using today. And I think the same applies to total knee replacement.
0: So you're talking about creating the actual joint replacement technique or the actual model of, of what you're using for the knee. But, you know, not all knee replacements are the same. Some of them might be partial, some of them might be complete. So when we talk technology, does that help to determine if you need to have a certain type of implant? And have we moved towards doing just the type of knee chain exchange that you need? Do we see more partial knee, knee replacements nowadays than we used to?
1: Absolutely, we do. And I think it's important to think about personalizing care for the patient. You have to think about, in my practice, what does a patient need to do? What do they love to do? What are their functional demands going to be? And also, where is the arthritis in their knee? So it's important to look at if they only have arthritis in the inside of their knee, in their medial compartment, we should only resurface that portion of the knee and leave the rest of the knee alone. If they only have arthritis underneath the kneecap, then we should just resurface that part and leave the rest of the knee alone. So minimally resurfacing the knee that's worn out, I think, is a very conservative approach and leads to very high levels of function. The other exciting thing with implants is that we can customize based on your ligament function. So, if you have a very good anterior cruciate ligament and a very good posterior cruciate ligament, if both your stabilizing ligaments in your knee are intact and solid, those ligaments are important because they have feedback to your knee where it is in space. And that's important for surfers, for example. So, we have a bicruciate sparing total knee replacement that saves the ACL and PCL. So, customizing the, the surgery type to the patient is important and also customizing the patient's anatomy. So we have newer implant designs that are based off of thousands of CT scans and virtual testing data. And when I see a patient in the clinic, we can get an X-ray with digital calibration. So it's a low radiation digital X-ray. And we can plan the surgery and virtually build them a custom knee that matches their anatomy because we're trying to restore the pre-arthritic shape of the knee. So we can take an off-the-shelf components over a thousand combinations to build a custom knee for you, or if you have an extreme version of anatomy that we can't accommodate, we can even build a bespoke or custom knee just for one patient. So that idea of anatomic knee replacements and custom implants is really revolutionizing uh, implant function and patient recovery.
0: Right. I have to think that it would make recovery quite a bit easier and faster because the body's just restoring itself to a level that it previously was, as opposed to trying to learn new anatomic positioning or weight-bearing changes, et cetera.
1: Exactly. And the other piece of that puzzle is using a robot. Um, So the robots all are different. Some robots require you to get a CT scan beforehand, and, and that may or may not be necessary because it can expose you to increased radiation. But um, we use a robot that in the operating room we can do a three-dimensional mapping of your knee without any additional imaging. So we have a real-time map of the cartilage surface of your knee and the alignment of the limb. Then we can take our plan that we use preoperatively and apply it to this three-dimensional model in the operating room in real time. And then I can examine your knee and see what effect that has on your ligaments are the ligaments normally tensioned Is the knee range of motion full, and I can micro-adjust the position of that hardware to exactly match your prearthritic shape of your knee. And then once we have our plan, we have a handheld milling tool that removes the bone where the metal goes. So we're just removing about a quarter-inch thick of bone on the surface of the knee to accommodate these metal caps that are anatomically shaped. Really, it's getting more and more like a knee resurfacing. And having the robot to do this prototyping and exact fitting of the implants to the body really has made recovery easier for our patients.
0: Well, that's the goal. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center about what kind of implants are out there. And are there different materials that we're using these days? And are they stronger than ever? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we're talking with Dr. David Ravinsky from the Orthopedic Department at Wilcox Medical Center on Kauai. And right before the break, we were talking about the way to customize and personalize knee replacements and how that really has revolutionized and made recovery even faster. Now, I'm curious, Dr. Ravinsky, you know, it used to be that all implants were the same you know, general material and that they were, you know, small, medium, large, or you somehow made some minor adjustments. Now we're talking about true personalization. What sort of materials are we using to make these implants? Are they more durable than they used to be years ago?
1: Absolutely. And this is one of the more exciting aspects of implant design. So traditionally, totally implants were made of cobalt chrome. And that has worked well, and has been the standard of care. But cobalt chrome, has cobalt, chromium, and nickel. And some people you know have sensitivities to nickel and they can't wear certain kinds of jewelry for example. And you can imagine if you had a knee replacement in your body for years and years and years you could even develop a sensitivity to one of these materials. So there are newer materials that are hypoallergenic, that are more biocompatible, that your body likes better. And one example of these materials is titanium. So, titanium has an elasticity that's very similar to bone. So, it loads bone in a more biologic, forgiving manner. So, that's also exciting. So, it's a, it's a low immunogenic metal. It's very well tolerated by people. So, we're excited to have these materials. And they last longer. They are harder and more durable. The ceramic-type surfaces of the components have, lo- have lower friction and greater hardness than cobalt chrome. So when we look at the data and the registry, so in Australia, every knee that's been put in the last 18 years is in a database. These implant materials are more durable than any other type of material. And they are particularly durable in younger patients who are active and put a high stress on the implants. So we're more comfortable now putting these implants in younger patients than we ever were before. And the last thing I would say is that these implants are modular. So the polyethylene bearing between the ceramic and the titanium surfaces is replaceable. So if in 20 years it appears that you're wearing the material out, we can just change the plastic bushing, um, which is actually a highly cross-linked polyethylene, which is a very, very durable plastic, um, without having to remove any metal from the bone. So it's a less invasive uh, procedure.
0: Well, and it brings up the question, you know, we talked about partial joint replacement. And in some cases, somebody might evolve into needing a total joint replacement. So similarly, along those lines, if you have wear and tear of a particular component, it sounds like there's ways that you can do almost like a minimally invasive replacement revision. Is that possible these days?
1: Well, less invasive in that we're not disrupting the metal from the bone. But what is exciting uh, is, like you were alluding to, let's say I did a partial knee replacement on the inside of your knee 15 years ago. Now you come in and you say, you know what, Dr. Rabinsky, now I'm having pain underneath my kneecap. What can I do? Well, using the robotic device, we can make a three-dimensional map that includes that partial knee replacement. And we have an option at that moment of adding a partial knee replacement just to resurface underneath your kneecap or using that to map the knee and convert the partial knee to a total knee replacement and in a much more bone-conserving way.
0: Which, to me, sounds like that's one of the biggest issues with the recovery is the fact that you now have this this metal that's inserted into your bone. And so taking that out has to be you know, the old replacements that might have to, there used to be this like 10 to 20 year lifespan. To take those out must be very difficult. So now with the new materials and the new technology, it sounds like these types of less invasive revisions are really the wave of the future. It might be why now you'd be willing to do a knee replacement on someone who's younger, knowing that it's not going to be something that's going to be as difficult to revise as their lifetime continues.
1: Absolutely. That's a factor, and also the data that we have. I mean, we have data from taking these implants and putting them through 45 million cycles, which is the equivalent of about 30 years of wear and tear. And we've seen dramatic, dramatic decreases in the amount of wear on these implant surfaces. And the other thing I would say is that we're even able to use the robot now for revision of older knee replacement design. So if someone has a knee replacement that was done with an older design that not happy with, we can make a three-dimensional map of that. We can very carefully remove that from the knee and conserve the bone and then use the robot to remap it and use that to do the revision knee replacement so they get a higher functioning knee replacement in the revision surgery. So that's also super exciting for us.
0: So given what you know now, if you need a knee replacement, are you happy with our current technology or where should we go in the future?
1: I am absolutely happy with our current technology. I would say that I believe the future, and this is more 10 to 15 years from now, although I hope it's sooner, is going to be orthobiologics, right, something where we can have your cartilage and give it signals and nutrition and support to regrow cartilage in an arthritic knee. We're not there yet, and I'm actively reading and staying up on that literature because I'm interested, like everybody else is, as a patient. But in terms of if you have to get a knee replacement, I think we have the best implants available, the best surgical approaches available, and the best technology available to feel very comfortable telling patients that after the surgery, they'll resume a very high level of function and get back to doing the things they love to do, especially things like surfing. So surfing is the best test of knee replacement because you have to bend your knee to 145 or 150 degrees to pop up on the surfboard. And then your knee has to be very, very stable in mid-flexion. So most of surfing is your knees are bent between 30 and 90 degrees or more. So the knee has to be very stable in that range. And then you should have proprioception, meaning your ACL and PCL should be there and you should know where your joint is in space. So that's where a partial knee replacement or a bicruciate knee replacement is really a key piece of the puzzle to let you go back to surfing at a high level. So I, I, I think that having Hawaii as our home laboratory for this has led us great advances in the technology
0: well and it sounds like we need to start doing some of the monitoring Australia is doing and make sure that we're keeping an eye on all of our knee replacements and following those folks over time
1: absolutely and there is an American total joint replacement registry that was started and at present it doesn't have a hundred percent participation rate but I always advocated at every opportunity I think knowledge is power and I think that you know you really learn what you got by following it over time.
0: All right. Well, you've definitely helped expand our knowledge on joint replacement. We will come back and we will do part two talking with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center about total hip replacement. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show or find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we'll see you next week when we talk part two, hip replacement. That's right here Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then.